everybody, and welcome to Gritty Reboot. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. Oh, it's very good to hear that. I am uh, very thrilled about today. We're going to be doing uh, one of the absolute classic horror films, uh, The Amityville Horror. The Amityville Horror. <laughs> uh, this is one that we've been uh, looking forward to doing uh, for a, a pretty good while, actually. Yeah, because it's a classic. Yeah, an, an absolute classic. And we did it for the reason that we do most of the films, is that it was about to leave a streaming service that we subscribed to. So we said, let's get it in before it's gone. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we appreciate Stars for holding on to the movie for a few more days so we could actually uh, watch this classic and uh, this one and its reboot. So uh, I guess I was going to ask you, um, this is a really famous, famous horror movie and story. When did you first hear about Amityville? Oh, um, I heard it. I, I was really young when I came across this movie. Um, my dad likes horror movies, so he was kind of my first introduction into horror. Um, and this was one of the movies that I watched with him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I have a very similar thing. My, my mom absolutely loved this movie, and this was one that she talked yeah. about a lot. Uh, so I was pretty familiar with the story even before anything had really ever happened or I'd even like actually seen the movie. So I thought that was always sort of interesting. Like It's always been like something I've always known about what happened in the house in Amityville, and it's almost sort of built up for me more so than, than anything else. And also the fact that, you know, it was based off of a true story yeah. is what made it stand out all, all the more, especially growing up in the 80s or, or the 90s. Um, you know, like you, you really couldn't get away from it. And obviously, like a lot of the movies we talk about, this was a cable mainstay for a long time. I mean, really, up until a few years ago, I think they pretty much aired it every Halloween um, every Halloween, are you okay? <laughs> um, <clears throat> sorry, they, uh, pretty much every Halloween you can find this on AMC. Um, it, you know, like I said, this is about as classic as a movie gets, as well as a, a book and a story. But um, so let, let's give a little introduction here to um, everything that is uh, the Amityville Horror. Uh, Amityville Horror. The the movie was uh, made in 1979, mm -hmm. and it was directed by Stuart Rosenberg. Starring uh, James Brolin, uh, Margot Kidder, uh, Rod Steiger. And this is based off the Jay Anson story or novel. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't remember when that was published. 75, I believe? Yeah, 70. I didn't have that information. So, yeah, Anson writes this book uh, with the Lutzes. And so, first off, uh, I do want to mention something we talked about a couple of weeks ago with The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Is This is a movie podcast on a true crime podcast. Yeah. And a trigger warning, first off, uh, we're going to be talking uh, about some real murders that occurred um, in the DeFeo house and some possible real shenanigans that occurred uh, in the Lutz house. It's how the movie starts anyway, so we kind of got to talk yeah, about so it. Yeah, we so do, we do have to mention it, but I, I do want to say straight up, if, if you have an issue, you don't want to hear anything about real crime or true murders, you know, the, the story uh, starts out with one. Um, so basically, Ronald DeFeo uh, took a shotgun and murdered his entire family as they slept. Mm hmm and shot them all as they were sleeping face down. And this is what basically throws the horror community entering the story. Because a few months after this event, the Lutz has moved into the house, and the furniture from the DeFeos was still in the house. Yeah. yeah that, that was probably the most interesting thing that I found in my research, is that the DeFeos stuff was still there. So this was pretty recent. Um, they stay for what they report is 28 days. And then they leave after no longer being able to deal with the entities in the house. 
So that is the story that, as it was reported in the media. Yeah. So basically, I think what I want to talk about in, in this part is we're talking about, you know, how the movie came to be is this is one of those moments for myself where, how do I put it? It's like when I was a kid, maybe like nine, eight years old, and you stopped believing in Santa Claus. This movie is a similar moment for me because when I got older, probably when I was like, you know, 17 or, or 16, I started doing some research into like the most famous haunting of all time. And that's when I really discovered that most of the story is 100% bullshit. Yeah. And, and this was one of those moments for me to where like, oh, Santa's not real. And then I was like, oh, ghosts aren't real. Because I was always like, well, Amityville had to have happened. People saw that. There's documented cases. And l- listen, th- there's lots of other great resources that break down, you know, how the Lutz and the, uh, what's the the paranormal team there in the other oh, movie? Uh, the Warners? The, yeah. Fred yeah. and. Still Warren? <laughs> huh. Fred and. Uh... God, I'm thinking, Warrens, of, I'm yeah. thinking of more murders. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Ed and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine Warren. There Thank you. Thank you. Ed <laughs> and Lorraine Warren. Because they're in the, what's it called? That's those movies, The Conjuring? Yeah. That's their whole film series. And, and and listen, like, those movies, they should be thankful for them. Because those movies portray them in such a large and glowing light. Am I right? Yeah. And like, it, they're there to help people. Yeah. And in reality. Con people. Yeah. They, they, they were more con people. Con, con, a con man, a con woman, anything else. They had different ways of looking at things. And, and, and like I said, there's other parts that will break it down. But for the most part, like the Lutzes and Anson and their former attorney just sort of came up with the stories and went along. Yeah. Um, they, they always said they... Over a bottle of wine. Yeah, over a bottle of wine, is, of wine is how they, they came up with the story. So, and that, that, that's how the legend is told. Uh, to the Lutzes' credit, they have stuck with the story. Yeah. Uh, George did not recant on his deathbed. And the kids are very much... Yeah. For the story. You know, I just, I forget which child is, but he made a documentary about 10 years ago, My Amityville Horror, where he talks about growing up in, in the house. And he talks about the events that occur in the book as though they were fiction, they were fact to him. Fact. They 100% happened to him, at least in the way he looked at things. So take that how you will. But I, I do believe that with the evidence presented today that most likely none of this ever occurred. The biggest part of that evidence is that I think four or five different families have lived in the Amityville house since then and have reported uh, nothing. And they have found no evidence of the things that DeFeo's talked about. No blood from the walls, no green or black goo in the toilet. Um, The windows weren't ever blown out. The windows are still the same windows from the seventies. So they, those, that event never occurred. So like I said, take it with a grain of salt. Um, That's what happened in the real case. You know, we're here to talk about uh, these two films. So um, yeah, I mean, that's just pretty much, is there anything you want to say about, Anything else regarding the real crime and the genesis of the story? No, no. um, Everything we'll probably cover anyways. Um, Just that a lot of things were changed from the book to the movie. Yeah, yeah. There were some changes, even though, like I said, the the film is fairly faithful, unlike the remake. Oh, my God. Unlike the remake. Um, But I want you guys to know, in the 70s, you could become a celebrity just because a ghost ran you out of your house. And, like, that is entirely how the Lutzes rose to fame. They were on talk shows after giving their first press conference about what happened with their attorney. Yeah. So, I mean, like, this story really, really blew up and absolutely captured America in the mid to late 70s. It really was an an absolute force of pop culture. 
It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. Don't you just love classic trailers? Time oh, yeah. The world wasn't that, in such that a hurry. flute is always playing. When there yeah, was narration. Narration is the key to trailers. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? But is it too good to be true? (laughs) (laughs) No, I just, I love these old narration on these kind of style of trailers. I would really love it if a modern film gave us more of these. Oh, see, now it makes the turn. It's letting you know that something truly horrible is occurring. My God. So, yeah. uh, Amityville Horror is an absolute classic. And I really mean that because, I mean, you can almost... Like, play bingo to all the cliches that are in this movie. And yes, some of them do predate the movie, but a lot of the cliches from this movie are cliches because the movie established them. Yeah. I think, like, like the Red Room, I think that's something that's uh, permeated for a long time. Walls dripping blood, I think that's something that's permeated for a long time. I, the green goo. Yeah, the green goo. The father going insane or losing his mind, even though in the original story, the the mother has some issues, too, like slapping her kids that she had never done before. Uh, The movie really ignores that and just focuses on um, George falling apart. Have you read the book? I have not read the book. I just I I read a lot of synopsises of it and what's different between both versions. I've never really had an interest in in doing it, to be perfectly honest. It sounds like a good book. Yeah, yeah. I I do know that. Brolin loved it because he looked. Brolin loved it. Yeah, I I do know. I think he got the script and it was like, "Ah." the script wasn't done, I think, when he got it. And was like, I don't know if I want to do a horror flick. And like, well, read the book and see if you love that. And he was horrified from the book and said, I want this to do this movie. Yeah, I believe the story is is he he sat down at at his uh, recliner. And he had some pants hanging on behind him, drying, and the pants accidentally fell down while he was reading the book, and it scared the shit out of him. <laughs> and it was then that he was like, I want to be in this movie. Well, I like that story. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty cool. No, I mean, listen, the the book, as, as far as I can tell from what Anson has said, is that when he met with the attorney to be like, okay, I want to turn this into a book, like, can we talk about some of the things that occurred? He was basically said, told... Listen, just make the story work in a, in a book. So he took some licenses from what was told to him and created a lot of the things that we know as the, the Amityville legend at this point, which is really how to refer to it, because it absolutely is like an American legend. So with that being said, you know, this, this movie is almost a, a template of like horror films in America, you know, for the next 30 to 40 years. Yeah. So I, I guess I want to ask... At the end of the day, you know, the, the movie is slow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the movie is a bit slow, but there's such an earnestness to the film that I find so charming. Well, it helps that James Brolin and Margot Kidder have great chemistry to me. What do you think? Yeah, no, they do have really good chemistry. Like, that's, that's one thing that, that, that has to be at the heart of a story of a family falling apart. Like if, if you really look at this movie, it's a lesser version of the shining to some extent. Like that's a movie about a family falling apart from isolation. Granted, this family isn't isolated. Um, if you look up where the actual house is in ocean drive, it's in the middle of a neighborhood. They're not particularly isolated, but it is a similar tale to where the, the house is pushing them away from people. And, and we do get a bit of that narrative as George is stepping away from his family and, completely ignoring his business. That's one thing that 
I think separates it from maybe any other horror film or any haunted house picture at the time, which is the effect on the father. Like yeah. he's almost sort of possessed. Yeah. We get one of the most famous scenes in this this movie, and that's the one with the flies. Yeah. The priest comes to bless the house. And it's early on in this movie. Very early on, yeah. And he has the flies. And I have a great uh, f- bit of fact about that. Cinematographer Fred J. Uh, Cohen Camp was scared of insects, so he really struggled filming the fly scene. He would look away or close his eyes and hope it for a good shot. He lost he- about 30 pounds because he would... He would lose his appetite at the very sight of them. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that's a pretty challenging scene to shoot because nobody really likes flies, but nobody's really stuck in a room with like 30 of them. Yeah. There were hundreds of them like he was. They put a bunch was. of honey on his face. So they would be attracted to, to him. They, to yeah, him. they would want to stick on there. And it's, sa- they almost crawl on his nose. And yeah, stuff. they really do. I mean, there's there's no CG there. That That's really all over him. And it's, it's a pretty startling effect, to be honest. I, I like the way it looks. I really do. Yeah. It's good. But I think... The scene is so built up in pop culture, um, in parody, you know, quite a bit, even you know, from the scary movie films to you know some of the Mel Brooks work. And I, I think the first time I actually watched the movie as a kid, I was a bit disappointed by the scene that it wasn't a little more graphic or or intense, mm-hmm. you know, because I think I'd built it up in my mind. I don't know if you ever had that where someone tells you about a movie, and I, that's not the same. Oh, yeah, it's not the same today because you can just find a movie. Yeah. You can just order it and, you know, you just have it. You know, it's very easy to find a movie streaming or to be able to just YouTube up a clip. And, you know, not being able to do that makes this re- not made that really interesting. So I can only imagine what these scenes were like in my head as my mom or my dad kind of told me about them. So when I finally had a chance to sit down and watch it, I was ultimately a, a little disappointed by this iconic sequence. So I have to put a put that out immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was bummed out by it the first time I ever saw it. But over time, I, I I've really grown to to appreciate the sequence. You know, and, and what it sets up as well. I, I think there's such a great. I mean, the 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 things that some of the ghosts uh, do in the movie are. Almost intentionally cinematic, and I think that's one of the weird things about believing it's a true story. You know, they do help us set up a pretty nice three-act structure, and this is a good way to start things off with a priest. And uh, for a long time, um, the actual real priest um, backed up the story, 100%. And it wasn't until, I think, like an interview in the 80s that he admitted he made the whole thing up. And to me, the more fascinating thing is, why would a priest lie? Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, why would a priest lie? He didn't even know the Lutzes that well. Mm-hmm. I like, I, yeah, I, I have no idea. Priest. I mean, he must have had some skin in the game, I guess. You know, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> but like, whatever it was, like he he, he lied and and continued this to help build up this legend for for a number of years. And and like I said, this this is an absolute iconic scene in horror. Would you buy a house where a bunch of murders happened? Absolutely. Why? Well, first off, I would take the savings. People here are nuts about the savings. Have you seen housing prices here in America? You have to save any way you can. And, and realistically, it wouldn't bother me. The thing that would bother me about the Amityville house would be the people that would be attracted to the Amityville house. Yeah. You know, the people who have to come here and see it. I have, I have to know. I have to be able to see where George Lutz and his family went insane and all that, you know. Yeah, the current owners have actually removed the evil eye windows and replaced yeah. them with regular rectangular ones. So, yeah, there's there's no real reason to go there. You could actually go to, um, I think, 
where they shot the, the where they shot this actual movie was not where the house is. Yeah, I was just about to say that because yeah. they weren't allowed to film on the Amityville house. Yeah, the city of Amityville was like, listen, we have a nice quiet town. This was a horrible murder that took place here that we don't want to be reminded of, and we don't want to have anything to do with this stupid book. So they denied them the ability to shoot there, and I think they shot uh, a little further over in New Jersey in a, in a town called Tom's River. Yes, yeah. uh, at a two-story Dutch colonial. Yeah, and they. They added those windows, correct? Yeah, they added some, uh, like a ballast and a few other things yeah, to the yeah. outside of the house to make it look creepy. Mm-hmm. And I think those windows stayed on that house, so that, I don't know what it's like now, but I remember in the 90s, the shooting location was probably a better creepy location than the real one. <laughs> the interiors were filmed at MGM Studios in Culver City. Yeah, that makes sense. In in the 70s, it had been pretty rare to do a lot of location shooting in a house, you would definitely do all that in a soundstage back then. It's just how the business worked. I guess when it comes down to it, you know, it, that's what makes these stories sort of interesting is, or at least in my opinion, the horror and the situation you're faced with, the incredible stress versus financial ruin. <laughs> you know, like something that keeps you with a house and trying to deal with it because you just can't get out of that house. Yeah. You know, you'd have to do what what the you now. As the story went, the Lutzes do leave their stuff behind and never come back. They it ends up being sold at auction, so they they never ever really did come back to get it. That part of the the movie is true or, or the original story. So you talk about a financial investment. I, you know, I definitely would take a chance on a haunted house. Um, of course, they didn't realize that at the time, which is something curious. I, I don't know how that works because they just left the house. You don't get out of a mortgage for ghosts. Trust think, me, the bank doesn't count that. I think what I would do is make it like a haunted des- uh, destination. Oh, like a haunted bed and breakfast or something yeah. like that? That's not a terrible idea, actually. Right? Yeah, I think I could be down with that, weirdly enough. Yeah, because you don't have to necessarily stay there if you want to. Yeah. But you can have people stay there yeah. for money. Yeah, for money, preferably. <laughs> for money, goods or services. Grass or ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The show's off the rails. <laughs> um, I, yes, that that is also a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let, yeah, back, back into Amityville Horror. Um, you talked about you talked about the chemistry of the couple. Yes, and I, I think they do have good chemistry. There's uh, there's not really a sex scene in the movie, but there is a scene where like she seduces him. And, you know, I think it helps also, it's our marker to indicate when scary stuff's about to really go down mm-hmm. after that moment, because it, that really is what happens. Scary stuff does start going down once that that occurs. But I think it's a nice sequence. And I, I think also we have to talk about uh, the heartthrob factor of these movies. Oh, my God. James Brolin is hot to this day. Yeah, yeah. No, he set the template for, for his son. Uh, very hot Thanos. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he, he was a heartthrob back in his day. I think um, James Brolin is better looking. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah, I think you can make that argument. Um, Margot Kidder, this is probably the best I've seen her look in a movie. Like, yeah, that she's sequence, super cute. Yeah, that, that scene is great. She's really sexy when she comes out. and she's With showing, her hair and the pigtails. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I would have never considered Margot Kidder sexy. And so that's the first time I could really ever say that was when I, I saw the R-rated cut. Why? Because she's Lois Lane? Yeah, yeah. When she, she's not sexy at all as Lois <laughs> no, Lane. Not, not. Not the least. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, well, I guess Amy Adams is, isn't really sexy as Lois Lane either. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I guess it's just it's not. It's not a sexy role. I suppose not, really. Well, I guess Terry Hatcher was the most downloaded woman on the internet in 1995 from playing Lois Lane. Hmm. It was just her wrapped in a Superman cape. 
Listen, I'm just telling you what happened. <laughs> don't 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 look at me like Are you sure you're like, hey, listen, I'm letting you know what occurred. That's that's what happened back in the day, and I'm sticking to that story. Okay, so after we get a priest come by, we get a nun that comes by. Yeah, and she's too terrified to really enter the house, right? Yeah. Or to she, stay in the house. She she goes in for like a minute and then she's like immediately starts feeling ill. Yeah. And then she vomits on the way home. To wherever she's going. Yes. that's That shows her shows that, I guess, the supernatural effect of the house has yeah, affected her. It doesn't want anything Christian in the house in any way, shape, or no. form. That's that's sort of the one lesson that we learn uh, from the movie. It hates the priest being there. It hates her being there. I, I know in the book there's segments where people pray and it's like, shut up. You know, it delivers that deep, dark voice from in the inside the house. The priest does try to call Margot Kidder or Kathy Lutz and warn her. About the house, but he can't seem to get through. Yeah. And then later... Goes to squeezing the old phone lines. He gets in a car accident and dies. Yeah. (laughs) Very creepy stuff. Listen, this is the true template for American haunted horror stories. You know, because I think a lot of the other haunted horror stories that we got, you know, were English or European. So this is one of those real legendary American hauntings. And as it sits, this movie is, well, I mean, I I don't know how I want to put it. I guess, how do I, this is weird. I want to be respectful to the Amityville uh, horror, but the the movie is leisurely paced (laughs) to say the least. And uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of glance your watch or to kind of browse something on your phone, you know, while it's taking its time to kind of get to the point. Because uh, th- this movie, like I said, it- it's in no real rush to get where it's going. It- it's a two-hour film, and it very much does feel that way. Even though, to its credit, that there there is a lot of story elements to squeeze in in the Amityville horror. You know, fr- from the original novel, you know, to this adaptation. So, th- the movie loses me in a spot, and it's when uh, George is at the bar talking to the woman that gets all woo-wee-woo on her on him. Yeah. That part really lost me yeah yeah um i don't understand the point of the the scene yeah me neither to be perfectly honest it's it's one of those things where i was looking at it like okay i guess maybe there was something to this or maybe something hit the cutting room floor that i'm unaware of but i mean as it sits either way i i just didn't care for that either yeah this movie does have little asides like that that just kind of waste time and don't don't really add up to a whole lot which which is a, a a real shame too because, I mean, the movie can pick up momentum. I'm not saying this is a terrible film. You know, I mean, it's a classic for a reason, but, you know, <laughs> it does feel very dated, especially when you consider it's made after something like Halloween, which, you know, moves very well. You know, I, I can think of a number of, of haunted house movies that don't have the kind of problems and pacing issues that this movie does. Yeah. So we get ratcheting up tension. Um, it's very slow ratcheting up. Um, but it, there's tension there. Um, you get uh, George Lutz acting a little, little violent at times. Maybe saying yeah. some things that he shouldn't say, and uh, he actually hits Kathy at some point. Yeah. What do you think of the storyline with the cop in the backyard doing his investigation? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it doesn't really add to a lot. It's, it's just another thing. It's another one of those things just kind of there. And if I recall, I, I know one of the, the skeptic points about the whole story is that the, the Lutzes in no way, shape, or form ever contacted the police. 
Yeah. Ever. I don't know why they would. Yeah, I mean, well, people always say that, and I thought the same thing, too. I was like, well, they'd call the cops, not, they're not calling the Ghostbusters. Like, I don't know what they, you know, what are the cops going to do, right? Yeah, they're probably just going to laugh at them. And yeah, you dialed up 911 and be like, yeah, I heard a ghostly marching band in my living room this morning. Do you think you can send somebody over? I mean, that's not really something they're even going to cater with or, or take care of. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is one of those things. You know, it's just one of those sequences where this movie is is slowing down its pacing and, and taking its time too much. There is a bearded man seen in the peering in the bedroom in the cellar. That was actually James Brolin's brother. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. They wanted a strong resemblance, so they went with his brother. Yeah, because I guess what the one of the things the movie does try to to do, and and the book does as well, is that uh, George isn't showering, isn't shaving, and he was apparently religious about it. Even though I've seen tons of pictures of him with a beard, but I, I digress. <laughs> so eventually, he begins to resemble DeFeo. Yeah. And this is an element from the original, from the from the novel as well. He, he went to a bar and someone's like, my God, you look just like him. And the scene of which they adapt yeah, this is, is pretty scene. cheesy. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty cheesy. Um, and then that's about it. And I mean, it, it's to show the connection, but I mean, we've already, we've already got enough. Yeah. I, I can understand that element in a book, like you're adding all these things to the, to the, everything here in the mystery, but it, it doesn't really work. I, I don't think, and it just, once again, another thing that slows it down. Because uh, I was looking at it, this film could easily be like 15 minutes shorter. Yeah. Easy, easily. So, like I said before, um, George is acting funny. The house starts to bleed. Um, and then this is the end of the movie where they start to, they escape in the middle of the night. But George goes back for the dog because the kid's crying about the dog. Yeah, yeah. So, he goes back to the for the dog. Um, he falls in some black goo. And then the dog starts attacking him. Once everything goes down, this whole scene is pretty cool. Like everything with him having to go in the house and get everybody out. Like this is what you've been waiting the hour and 45, hour and 50 minutes for is for this whole thing when all the shit's going to go down. Yeah. And and you know, th- this sequence really does live up to the hype. You know, him having to go back in the house, get the dog, you know, before that, getting everybody out. I mean, it's a great tension-filled sequence. It really is. This whole movie was shot in seven weeks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can tell it's not a... Uh, a bigger budgeted picture, so it's not going to take too much longer, even though it doesn't look bad. Can you guess some of the actors that were going to play George Lutz? Ooh, no, I didn't even look into alternate casting. Do you have any alternate casting that you would like? From the late 70s? Um, I'm, I try to put Burt Reynolds in everything. Burt Reynolds was one of them. See, yeah, I could have imagined that. Harrison Ford, James Caan. Harrison Ford, wasn't And Christopher Reeve. Well, I mean, I, yeah, he'd done Star Wars, so I guess that that works. Christopher Reeve would have just done Superman. That'd have been really weird to put him with Margot Kidder. Yeah, again. right. Even though I, I could have seen Christopher Reeve was a really incredible actor who really got shortchanged by playing Superman. Him and Mark Hamill are the two guys from that era that, like, yeah, were typecast and they were never looked at again until the the late '90s. Sadly, Christopher Reeve got better parts, but he ended up getting hurt. But uh, Mark Hamill salvaged a lot more of his career later on, moving away from Luke Skywalker. But I, I, I would have loved to imagine an alternate universe where Christopher Reeve was in the Amityville yeah. Horror. I, I, I would have loved that too. What yeah. a weird thing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, def, I definitely, maybe he wouldn't that. have been crushed by that horse. Maybe. Wow. Well, you had to take it to a dark place. <laughs> you, uh, I think he just fell off the horse, right? I think he was. I think he was crushed somehow. I never, I never looked <laughs> I in. Know. I never looked into the specifics of the incident. The that, horse ran over him somehow. Yeah, they put Superman in a wheelchair. 
I know it wasn't bad. Uh, yeah, but I do know it's is an equestrian equestrian type accident. Yeah. Um, equestrian, you mean? Equestrian. 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 Yes, <laughs> it's my favorite group of alien horses. You'll see them in Avatar Four soon. Yes, that horse word. Yeah, that's what that's what did it in. Let's. I'm gonna edit all that out. Cut. All right. What do you think the budget for this movie was? Eight million. Four point seven million. Mm, doubled it. Doubled it. That sucks. How much do you think it grossed? 1970 money? 55? 86 million. 86. Ooh, did real well. Pretty big. Yeah. In in today's money, that's $75 billion. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty massive hit uh, back then. Uh, So that's probably like a $200 million grosser today. James Brolin was incredibly smart about his contract. He took back end, did he? He took less money up front, but took 10% of gross sales after release. He eventually received $17 million. If adjusted for inflation, it would be the equivalent of $63.5 million in 2021. Not bad. Not bad he at all. He made bank. Absolute bank. I'm, I'm pretty impressed, to be honest. Right? That's, that's very impressive. Super cool. You know, it, it, he does the opposite of, I think, like, um, I think Donald Sutherland took I think like $5,000 instead of 5% of the back end of Animal House. Mm. So, and that would have, I think that cost him like $40 yeah. million over time. That's that's the way to do. If you can, if they're going to give you the back end of any movie, you probably want to take that. Even if it's not a big hit, you'll still make some good money. And if it is a big hit, you'll be like Jack Nicholson because he did that with Batman. Yeah. And James Brolin had a feeling about this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he was entranced by the, the book. book. So he yeah. was like, he's like, America, people are talking about this. Yeah. He's like, this could be something that gets over really huge. And he was absolutely right. Are you ready to talk about the piece of shit of, of uh, the 2005 Amityville Horror? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always ready to rail on that one. But there's one other thing I did want to mention real quick, and, and it's the, the incredible score. Hmm. Uh, this theme um, was one of the few that um, I believe I did receive an Oscar nomination. So I think that's something that's interesting about it. And there was a longstanding rumor for many years that they swapped scores with The Exorcist initially. And this was like an urban legend that lived on like early IMDb and early internet for years. And it's 100% untrue. The uh, the composer has no idea where that rumor or myth came from. Hmm. But he absolutely wrote this music for this movie. And it's a great score. It really is. And it's one of the things I think helps set this movie apart. Not quite as nice as like we talked with the Omen earlier. I was gonna say it reminds me a lot of the Omen. It does sound like that 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 a lot. Now I, that's more what I thought of when I heard it because people talk extras all the time, and I was like, I thought Omen. Yeah, Omen. but it, it is a very similar situation to that. I think that this remake that comes up could have maybe used a little bit more of the original music. I think that would have helped for a stronger, stronger experience. All right, so the Amityville Horror 2005, uh, we got Melissa George and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, It starts with the DeFeo murders like the first one did. I do want to mention we're also introducing an incredibly young Chloe Grace Moretz. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's her, her first, first movie. Role. Little baby Chloe Grace Moretz. I know. Soon she'll be killing hitmen and a <laughs> as hit girl. Do you know Chloe Grace Moretz did her own stunts? I'm I'm not surprised by that. An eight-year-old did yeah. her own stunts. Yeah, she's she's hardcore. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, she's a little thing, but she's she's pretty hardcore. I've always liked Chloe Moretz. Yeah, she's a good actress. Yeah, she very much is. I, I feel like she should get uh, better work. In all honesty. So in this movie, like I said, we have Melissa George and Ryan Reynolds. Um, they're both very charming. I think so. 
And they also have great chemistry. What do you think about the two leads? Well, they do have some chemistry. I will say that. It's not like it's not there. It's not as palpable as you'd find in the original movie. Mm-hmm. But I think they're ultimately hurt you know, by their, well, lack of acting talent. Uh, Melissa George, I think, is a decent actress. And she's okay here. The character isn't great. I, I will say that. Like these, this movie is like the first movie in turbo speed. Yeah. So there's no real moment to breathe. So the actors don't really get moments to kind of establish themselves or relationships, relationships with the characters. Things are only done in the movie that either can be a scare or immediately set up something that's going to happen later in the scene. There's almost very little forethought about anything else in the movie, really. Yeah. And that really hurts any kind of relationship aspect between them. Like you can tell there's some kind of closeness and I mean, they're like, they're pretty people, but I feel like their relationship is pretty hollow to be honest. I, I was reading a, um, as hot as they are, a review. Of course I go through several hundreds of reviews for yeah. this show. And <laughs> the subject line for one of the reviews was, uh, Ryan Reynolds, need I say more? <laughs> it's talking about his abs and stuff. Yeah, no, this is... Um, he looks great. He really does. This is him coming off of Blade Three, Blade Trinity, which is a really forgettable movie. But if you don't know that movie before that, he was a scrawny comedic actor. Yeah. And that's pretty much what he was known for. There, there wasn't a whole lot else to him. And he did Blade and got in great shape and pretty much has stayed in that shape for he did just 20 friends. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, the kind of character he played. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was post the body change, but he was still doing like that kind of role for the most part. So, um, you know, it's one of those things like you, you, we kind of forget where he was. And, you know, he was trying to grow and establish himself as an actor. And it, this is one of those things... You know, he he took a chance to do something a little bit different. This didn't really work out for him. He's miscast here. Yeah. There's a lot of things Ryan Reynolds can do and and do easily. But I think, once again, this part being underwritten doesn't help at all. But, and and there's a couple couple scenes where I think he's quite good. There's a scare late in the movie uh, where some hands come out of a bathtub. The scare isn't inspired. Matter of fact, the scare is bad. It's lame. But his reaction to it is so genuine, mm-hmm. like like a, a like a, a very a very masculine man just being absolutely horrified and terrified. Yeah, beyond like the ability to form words, he does a great job there. But it doesn't matter because the scene before it is laughable. It really is. I mean, that, this is more of the story of the movie. Yeah, and like you said, this movie just runs at a breakneck speed. <laughs> it does. It's like it's like this movie's got something to do afterwards. I mean, they're <laughs> they get the house. They have the real estate agent see, you know, they, she shows it yeah, and then they get the house and then they, that's it. Everything starts. Yeah, pretty much. I I think they even, there's, that's the only sequence where something horrifying doesn't happen. The second they get in the house, like they're immediately bombarded by ghost shit. Yeah. George snaps at one of the kids and tells him not to go into the basement. Uh, They lose the little girl in the boathouse. And what's weird about the little girl being lost in the boathouse is why didn't they put a lock on it to begin with? Yeah, well, he has a chance to do it, and he just doesn't. And it's like, okay, sure, whatever, man. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, because I think that's one of the things that occurs in the novel is that he does lock those doors, and you can see uh, the doors are destroyed the next day. They're just thrown off the hinges. What do you think about all the ghost antics? I mean, it's overdone. I mean, that's probably the biggest takeaway that I, that I have from the movie. Is, I mean, 
there's a lot of subtlety, <laughs> and I understand there's like a pig monster looking in through a window at some point in the, yeah. in the first movie. But like that movie seems so subtle, like the others, or like the the haunting of Hill House is like a subtle the 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 Netflix version. That's yeah. like a very subtle version haunting, and and this movie's so loud. And every scare is just in your face. And so cliche. And I mean, it's just Jump Scare City. Like, you want, listen, people give The Conjuring a lot of shit, but you watch those movies. James Wan takes a lot of time to set up a scare to get you looking left and have a spirit pop out of the right. That's his whole directing style, what he's trying to get you to do. And it's effective. This movie is just like, hey, here's a scare. <laughs> Like, you know, just a character walks in a room and then the ghost is just standing behind them and a loud noise pops up for a jump cut. And then that's it. You know, there's almost no buildup. It's like the director was trying to play 2005 horror cliche bingo, Mm -hmm. like just trying to rack up as many things as he could to fit in this movie. Like he just watched like like five horror, five contemporary horror films and was just trying to hit his checklist before he went home at the end of the day. And this director, whose, whose name escapes me right now, Andrew Douglas. Andrew Douglas. Andrew Douglas. Uh, he never directed a feature film again. Nope. Only music videos and documentary. He did some. He did some TV work. I, I think he. There's a. There's a few notable TV shows on his resume. But the, the point is, this guy wasn't ready to do a movie, and I, this budget was uh, fairly modest. I do think I was under twenty million dollars. So this is kind of what you get if you're a fairly successful video director. Budget was nineteen million. Okay, so I was right. Yeah, just just under twenty million. And that and that's a that's a pretty modest budget in two thousand five. That, so. That's nothing much, you know. Reynolds is a bit of a name. Melissa George is a nobody, just a TV star. I mean, I like Melissa George, but you know, she wasn't she didn't demand a big paycheck. So you know, w- with all that there, I, I think like it's just it's just too much with all these ghosts. It really is. I mean, it. I mean, you can have a movie with a lot of ghosts. Haunted Hill House, like I just talked about on Netflix, Flanagan's got ghosts out the ass. Yeah. But the way he makes it work is really interesting. And this movie doesn't have an interesting bone in its body. One of the other uninteresting things was that the camera work on this movie. Now, this movie was filmed in Super 38 versus Panavision, which is on the credits. Yeah. So... One of the things that I noticed was how basic all the camera shots are. What do you think about the camera shots? Yeah, you know, oddly enough, it's too early, but I would have thought it was early digital, and it's not. It's Super 35. Yeah, Super 35. And, you know, like everything else in the movie, it's sort of subpar. You know, I mean, the the best things to look at in the movie are the leads, you know, (laughs) Melissa George and Ryan Reynolds' abs and and the babysitter's abs, I guess, too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Can we talk about the babysitter scene? Or do you you have a question for that? Yeah, uh, the babysitter scene was actually next. Um, The babysitter is highly unrealistic. So let's talk about the the gritty rebootification here. In the first movie, we get a girl with headgear, right? Yeah. She's got headgear. Yeah, she's a sweet little... Uh, you know, 14, 15 year old girl who's a babysitter. She comes in to help the Lutz kids and she's trapped in, in, in the closet and terrorized by a ghost that we don't see. We just see her. Mm-hmm. And because she's sort of a sweeter girl, we are able to empathize a lot more in the sequence. So here in the reboot, like, you know, the sweet little babysitter, well, guess what? Now she's a slut. Yeah. Like that's, it's like the hit, the hit her with the gritty reboot, Ray. And you know, she's played by Rachel Nichols, um, an actress who I really liked at the time, a former model, uh, incredibly attractive. And she comes in, takes off her coat, does a full unveiling, 
and she's just basically wearing a top that just only like covers her breasts and yeah. her, her entire stomach is exposed in low rider pants they didn't have in the 70s. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are. They're about as low riders as you yeah. can get, to be perfectly honest. Showing her vagina. Yeah, basically. pretty much. So, and, and, and listen, like... <laughs> The scene that comes after it is so ridiculous because she's just vamping it up for this 12-year-old boy, right? Yeah, Billy. Yeah, she is just like vamping all around him, flirting with him, telling him these fucked up stories about the house. I mean, like, this scene is so unrealistic. Unless she's a pedophile. (laughs) Then I I guess maybe the scene does make sense. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Maybe 12-year-old boys are her jam. That's the real horror of the Amityville house, guys. Megan Fox edition for the role of the baby. I did know that. I did know that. Yeah, yeah she had talked about that. And I remember thinking like, yeah, she would have done great in, in that part. And of course, I can see why they would have hired someone like her, because that's what they were looking for. Uh, sadly, they, they were looking for TNA at that point. That's all they needed to fill that quota. And I think Rachel Nichols does a, a nice job, by the way, trying to get a little something out of what is an absurdly underwritten po- plot point, just to set up one thing from the original movie, a parallel scare, and so the kids can find out what happened to the house. Mm-hmm. That's her main purpose narratively, right? Yeah. Just so the kids know. Yep. And there's probably a lot better ways to introduce it. She literally just tells them a story. And we don't even get a flashback. Yeah. We don't even get like a cutaway. And they shot some stuff in the intro with the, with the DeFeo stand-in. And, you know, they didn't even bother to cut back to any of that since she knew the previous family. After the incredibly unrealistic babysitter scene, we have um, George, who sees a part of his basement hidden behind a wall. And then he vomits, but he's actually asleep at this point. Yeah. Then he vomits, and then he goes to the doctor because he's not doing well. So Melissa George takes him to the doctor, and he automatically starts getting better because he's away from the house. Yeah, yeah, and that's one thing that is different from the original film. Um, And I think from the story, too, Lutz did want to get back to the house. Like, he hated the house, but was drawn to it. Yeah. And, you know, he just had to get back there to get his fix or or whatever. And in this movie, like, the second he leaves the house, he's like, oh, things are much better now that I'm here at this Italian restaurant. Why doesn't Kathy notice George's eyes? I mean, it's clear as day that they're, like, bloodshot and, like, black. I feel like they, they added that later. (laughs) <laughs> like they, he they actually wore contacts. Oh, I feel like they they might have reshot that oh. later, and like her reactions were against a stand-in who didn't have that. It so, must have been. Yeah, so maybe she didn't get that, or or maybe the director's like, just don't pay attention to it. It's not a big deal. I mean, bad directing could be an answer to a lot of these questions. Yeah, very well. Could <laughs> yeah, be. it could be an answer to to many of our mysteries about Amityville 2005. We do have a gr- uh, a, a nice scene that I do like uh, where George kills the dog. Yeah, that's superior. He goes here. into a r- rage, mm-hmm. so I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah, because I think George kills the dog in the book. Does he? I think so. Don't quote me on that, but I, like I, I feel like the dog was much more trouble in that novel, and they did have to kill it, and they decided not to do that in the seventies version. The suggestion of this movie, I guess, when you film a horror movie, there's a lot of suggestive. Things that happen. Yeah. Oddly enough, during filming, many cast members began waking up at 3.15 a.m. The same time Ronnie DeFeo killed his family. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. (laughs) It's all bullshit. This movie, this is... Blair Witch can give this movie a nod of thanks because 
there are so many legends about this production being cursed Mm -hmm. and all of that. And we talked about this a bit with the Omen too, is, you know, the the crew had all these issues and things like that. And then that's just like marketing speak, you know, I mean, it it, it helped, it worked, you know, the movie, you know, movie made 80 million back in the day, you know? So I think like that's, that's something that I think is, is, is interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I find those elements of like set hauntings, you know, very, very intriguing. I don't really believe them for the most part. No, because the sets change constantly. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to be doing an exterior here on this day. Yeah. You're going to be working on a soundstage on another day. You know, you're, you're going to be at the un- hardware store the next. The most unsexy and uninteresting area would be a film set, in my opinion. You're just, yeah. you're... You've got cameras all around you. There's no privacy. It's a transient area because yeah. guys are going to come in and set things up. And then immediately when they're done, break it down and get the hell out of there. Yeah. No one's sleeping overnight in a film set. Yeah. I mean, you might shoot overnight, but you're going to shoot overnight there with 40 people in the house. Also, it wasn't the real house. All right. So we get another uh, shot of a priest coming to bless the house. Way later in the movie. Yeah. Way, way later. It's like they're writing the script. They're like, oh, shit, we forgot the fly scene. And so they just had to uh, shove um, Philip Baker Hall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, great character actor, by the way. Forced to do this. Well, I guess you could say he was part of the Amityville legend. So here it is. He was there. We get the scene. And this goes down. I mean, it's it's gritty rebootified. You know, it's a little bit more intense. Um, the bugs are CG this time. Uh, there are some real ones, but for the most part, like anything interacting with him. Oh, I didn't know they were CG. Yeah, I do believe they are CG. Yeah. Mm. Uh, there are some real ones you can tell on some of the closer shots, but for the most part, um, you know, th- this is a little bit more intense. Uh, the music's uh, much more pounding and sort of that, but you still get the get out yeah. at the very end. So it, it does have a similar purpose, but the main issue is like, that's what introduces you to the haunting in the first movie. Mm-hmm. This is just a late element in the remake that doesn't add anything. Like I said, this movie is... Like I said, running at a blazing pace, but this is one scene he didn't need in the least. But here it is, nonetheless. Ryan Reynolds actually in this movie made the children think he didn't like them by being cold and distant. Yeah. He did this so that he could easily uh, do the scenes of him physically and verbally abusing the kids. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting about his. He's just an asshole. We don't realize that. You think so? No. I mean, he seems like such a cool guy. Wouldn't that be a great wouldn't that be a great scam? Everybody thinks he's a cool dude. And he's just a huge fucking I would dick. be devastated. Like Benjamin Pratt. Yeah. I thought that, you know, he was a cool guy because I love um Parks and Rec. Yeah. But he's turned out to be just an asshole. Just a lame Chris asshole. Pratt, yeah. Yeah. Chris Pratt. Who did I say? Benjamin Pratt. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> to all the Benjamin Pratt fans, we'd like to apologize. No, it's Chris Pratt. It's Chris Pratt. Benjamin Pratt's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, you talk about a guy who, Chris Pratt has got to be the person who was adored by everyone, and now he's just despised by most people. Yeah. I, I can't think of anyone who's made that transition as quickly as he has. Listen, the original film, nobody gives us an explanation of what occurred. Obviously, something happened there with the DeFeos. But, you know, the movie sort of talks about, you know, did something happen to Ronald DeFeo? Was he affected by the spirits that were there? Mm-hmm. You know, but the movie doesn't answer that. The book doesn't answer that. He the just Lutz, had voices in his head. The Lutz don't answer that. that that's all. DeFeo said that. DeFeo said a lot of things. Right. DeFeo said a lot of things. I want to do a little inside baseball here. We take research here pretty seriously. I watched a video about Ronald DeFeo talking about the book and the movie, the original film, because uh, he died last year. Um, and he he read the book and he'd seen the movie, and I watched it, 
And it taught me two things. One, Ronald DeFeo is a liar all the way through because he just bounces around. He would contradict himself later in the same paragraph. Typical serial. Yeah, yeah, basically. And uh, two, um, none of that was helpful for research in the movie. (laughs) I think I watched like 20 minutes of what is a 90-minute interview on YouTube. And I was like, okay, I think I've learned that there's nothing I can truly learn from all of this (laughs) i can't gain any insight it's an interesting thing because not a lot of people take his perspective on it yeah because once again like this is off based off a real murder yeah so with with that being said i think the second film pardon me the the reboot is um the way it portrays the defaults is a bit more nauseating uh because you get a little more graphic detail on the actual murder which is whatever, but um, they make Jody DeFeo a character. First of all, there was no Jody DeFeo. No, it was the sister Allison. I believe. yeah, yeah. There was no Jody character, even though that is who the daughter claims to talk with. Yeah, but they clearly make her a DeFeo in the movie, do they not? Yeah, she's she's the girl who's killed in the intro. So and she's killed in the closet. Yeah, yeah, and then it's where you see her. Well, yeah, because it's more than implied. The babysitter knows her, mm-hmm. so it, it, that basically you know is is what they're establishing. That's who that is. So this movie does give you an explanation. Uh, Melissa George runs to the library and tells the librarian to fuck off, right? Oh, my God. And then there's this weird uh, research slash George finding the room in the basement, like, duels, shooting thing. Yeah, parallel action is what we call that in the screenplay. (laughs) So there's this parallel action between the two. She's doing the research, finding out he's, oh, my God, you know, the spirits are coming in, affecting him. He's vomiting and convulsing or maybe just laying on a couch the whole time. We're not real certain. But she comes to discover that um, it's Indian burial torture area, right, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, Stupid. which, Which, by the way, has been discounted. Nothing ever happened at that property, ever. And listen, it's a movie. It doesn't have to be faithful. Doesn't so that? That's anything. fine. But it, it doesn't help. It. I mean, you. Our final bad guy reveal, and it's not much of one because it's not like he's in there to fight or anything like that. He's just there for this sequence. He goes into Ryan Reynolds. We never see him again. He's basically the guy from Poltergeist Two. Is what he looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And we get some leftover effects from Thirteen Ghosts. Uh, a lot of shaky camera, guys moving their heads really quickly while in front of the, you know, drop frames and stuff. None of it is particularly inspiring. It's just more horror cliches to shove into this piece of shit. And it doesn't help anything out. It it just, it's it's grown worthy at that point. I can remember, I, I saw this movie in the theater um, years ago. Uh, because at this point, I would have seen almost any movie that, that came out. And, I you know, I love the original, or I had respect for the original movie. So I would want to go in and see this. And... um the best man at my wedding, uh, Will, uh, he walked out at that sequence. He was like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> He's like, this is the dumbest fucking move I've ever seen, and I'm tired of wasting my time. <laughs> and he went out, and I think he played uh, ar- an arcade game in the lobby. While for, you watched yeah, it. Yeah, for the next 15 minutes. Of the- and he, had, he and I were reviewing the film. He was like, fuck it, I'm done. And that was part of his review. And, and, and it was fair, to be honest. I mean, the, the movie is grown-worthy. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's about the only thing I can say is, like, you know, adding that kind of stuff doesn't help. It, it literally just establishes you as one of the worst slash forgettable remakes, reboots of all time. Yeah. I mean, the movie even ends lousy. Uh, yes, it does. About the most interesting thing that happens is uh, Kathy gets her hair caught in a propeller. So there's a little tension there, but. Yeah, I, I do like that scene, actually. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a nice change, because, like, he kind of reels her in just a little bit yeah. before he decides not to kill her, I guess. Like, he kind of comes to, and then he gets her out. But they, but she doesn't kill him. 
No. She, he's like hurting her kids. Yeah, he's about to like murder one of her kids. She's got a gun yeah. on him. He's like, take the shot. And I was like, well, she should I think kill anybody him. Anybody would have yeah. taken the shot yeah, or at least shot his leg or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but she, she, doesn't, she doesn't do any of she those things. She says a lame line and then she knocks him out cold. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, then they they end up taking him and getting on a boat. Yeah. And they leave. And getting him, the second he's away from the property, he's like, just keep going, I'm fine again. And the house blows up, killing all the people. It doesn't blow up. It should, though. That was the last, the only thing missing from the movie, right? Just them blowing up the house. Yes. Like, just just <laughs> boating away from the explosion in style. <laughs> uh, I fucking hate this movie. This is probably my least favorite movie that we've done on this show. Do you think James Vanderbeek would have been better as George Lutz? Because he was cast as it. He was pretty... Well, I, I guess this is a little ways from the... the we're a long way from the creek at this point. That's all I'm saying. Um, I, I think he could have done a good job. James Vanderbeek's a bit of an underrated actor. I, he could well, well, I mean, I don't think Daniel Day-Lewis could have made this part really sing, so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. The, only, the last thing I want to mention is some creepy news. Just before shooting began, the body of a fisherman who had been murdered washed up at the bank of the river near the, the house, the main house. Really? Yeah. Actually happened. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do I do know um, filming aspect of the movie. This is another house um, that they made look like it. This one was shot somewhere around the Chicago area. And they added the eyes to the house. And that has remained a part of the house since this movie has been shot. And they pass it off as the the house they shot the original Amityville at, actually, is how they tried to sell it and, and let people tour it. I don't know if it still stands to this day, because that fact is from, like, 20, 2015, mm. 2016, so it, lots of things could happen. Housing market's crazy, guys. Yeah. Um, but nobody would want to visit that house, so I think it could be kind of an interesting thing to make you want to take a look at it, since there's no history there and a forgettable remake was shot there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. Okay, so now we are on to the review part of this podcast. Um, Amityville 1979 got a 4.2 user review, 6.1 on IMDb, and a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then I have a one-star review here. The Amityville Horror has all the ingredients for a good movie of its type. Solid actors, a respected director, a creepy story, but somehow it utterly fails to gel. Individual scenes simply die on their feet, and they never successfully work together to build suspense. It's dull. The main problem is that our protagonists, competently played by Margot Kidder and James Brolin, are underdeveloped characters. We see them in stereotypical happy mode for only few scenes, before the haunted house aspects take over and overshadow all else. One especially thin plot strand suggests that Kidder and local priests, overplayed by the usually great Rod Steiger, are good friends. This claim is somewhat undermined by the reality that they're never seen or screened together. In fact, Steiger seems to inhabit his own little side movie, complete with long, pointless arguments (laughs) about theology with Murray (laughs) Hamilton, who was at the point clearly typecast as an obstructive twit. See also Jaws. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. This sad little package is rounded out by some of the very worst special effects I've seen in a movie. The Phantom Pig prov- proving the most <laughs> risable of all. Yeah. It's too bad, really, as I'm usually a fan of intelligent, slow-paced horror. This movie gets got to the slow pacing down, but it somehow lacks the brains department. I wonder if the remake is better. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not. Yeah. Well, you know, oddly enough, I, I like that review. I do. I, I think he he made some very nice points because I, I I feel if I didn't have nostalgia 
fueling my opinion in this movie. I don't. I think I'd be a little more harsh about some of the aspects of the original movie. Mm-hmm. To be perfectly honest. Like I said, I grew up, you know, with the movie, so there is a lot that I love on it and can lean on that nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But he makes really nice points. To be honest, there are a lot of clunky actions in that film, and, and once again, it's a very seventies movie, and that has downsides. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of it hasn't aged particularly well, especially the effects. What about you? Do you have maybe somebody that you would like to talk about? Oh, do I now? As you might imagine, it's a classic film, so Roger Ebert reviewed it. Uh, Sadly, he did not review the remake, uh, so I guess he got to avoid that one. But he did review this movie, and uh, spoiler, he gave it a star and a half. He was not enamored with the Amityville horror. Roger Ebert says, Bad guys are great. There's nothing quite like a malevolent presence that wishes evil on everyone in a town. A guy with a sneer and a mustache and an upset stomach. A guy totally unlike the evil entity in the Amityville horror. The horror in this movie, alas, isn't a bad guy at all. Doesn't have a shape or a face or a personality. May not even be a guy. Is a presence that causes the worst sorts of things to happen. Who upsets the dog and causes the doors to bang open and makes the house too cold all the time. In short, makes things just like Chicago. This presence persecutes a family played by James Brolin and Margot Kidder and a bunch of kids who have to scream and quake on a regular basis for 28 days in the book, and for 21 days, if I counted correctly, in the movie. They play a couple named George and Kathy Lutz, whose experiences inspired a best-selling book named, of course, The Amityville Horror, who moved out of their house and left their furniture behind and moved to San Diego, fulfilling all of our dreams. Is the story based on fact? I have no way of knowing. I've met George Lutz. I had a couple of beers with him in in the Los Angeles airport and he seemed to be a likable and totally believable person. He told me soberly and earnestly of all the terrible things that happened to him and his family in that haunted house on Ocean Boulevard on Long Island. Was he telling the truth? Did green green slime really squirt from the keyholes? Did a red-eyed pig really glare through the windows? Did a ghostly marching band really parade through the living room? Maybe so. We've all made bad real estate investments. But the question isn't so much whether those terrible things really happened, as whether, please forgive me for my lack of reverence, whether they've been made into an entertaining movie. Sadly, they have not. They've been made into a dreary, terminally depressing series of glum things that happened to the residents of the Ocean Boulevard house. Nobody who has had to live under a roof and amidst four walls and pay the rent could possibly find such things amusing. The stairs collapse? There are thousands of flies in the sewing room. There's a pig with glowing red eyes staring in through the windows. The problem with these folks is that they've moved to Long Island. There are lots of neighborhoods in Chicago in which that would make it a good investment. But am I growing facetious? Not really. In order to be a horror movie, a horror movie needs real horror. The creature in Alien was truly gruesome. The case of the possession in The Exorcist was profoundly frightening. The problem with the Amityville horror is that in a very real sense, there's nothing here. We watch two hours of people being frightened and dismayed, and we ask ourselves, what for? If it's real, let it have happened to them. Too bad, Lutzes. If it's made up, make it more entertaining. If they can't make up their minds, then why the hell should we? Nice. 
Always Roger, good words. Yeah, uh, I think a, a pretty apt review from Roger Ebert. I, I mean, I can't really argue with with much of his opinion, to be honest. I know horror fans give him a lot of crap, but I think he's kind of on the money here. Like, I, I'm I'm freely admitting to you, I'm recommending the movie, but I got nostalgia goggles on. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Amityville 2005, 3.8 user review, 5.9 on IMDb, and a 23 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So the movie got much lower reviews than the original, which is what we expect. Yeah, yeah. It was not well-reviewed at the time. Poor casting, e.g. the mother looks about 20, but has already apparently given birth to three kids, means that I cannot take anyone seriously in this film. The shocks and scares are so well telegraphed that even a deaf, dumb, and blind person would know they were coming. This film is a mishmash of bog-standard haunted house cliches, creaks, doors opening and closing by themselves ghostly voices, and relies heavily on the staccato editing and fast cuts to bring a sense of urgency to the story. It feels rushed and raw, and that storyline is barely coherent amongst the mess. Effects are okay, but then nowadays most are, so no points gained there. The film claims to be based on a true story, but having read the original book by Jay Anson, I can confirm that only the names of the characters in a solitary event with a priest bear any resemblance to the book. The actual story behind the Lutz's disappearance from the property has been finally shown to be pure invention and fiction too, so what we have is a shoddy film that is based on lies. First of all, I think Melissa George was of appropriate age. This is how she looks. She's just young looking. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, she's in uh, Dark City as well. And that's like in, what, 96? Mm-hmm. So that was nine years early. She has a nude scene in that. So she had to have been at least 20 when she did that movie. Wow. So, yeah, no, it's just how Melissa George looks. Uh, I think she would do Teresa's a couple years later and she'd wear pretty much a bikini for the entire film. Just looks fantastic. That's just Melissa George. Same thing, Ryan Reynolds still looks like he's like 30. And he's, yeah. he's 74 years oh old. God. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it is what it is. And it's a terrible film. <laughs> and it, it, like I said, um, this is the least favorite. This is the worst movie I think we've covered. It's not gritty. I mean, it t- tries to be gritty, but it's not, which is not worse. Gritty. Yeah. It's worse. Lazy. It's just not good. Yeah. It just, it ends up just kind of being something that happened as opposed to like a real movie. You know, like yeah. it's just, you can talk about, Hey, there was an Amityville remake. Want to watch it? No. And that's what should be your answer. Like I said, watch the original film for its history, everything that it laid upon the uh, horror genre and pop culture within the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah. And just ignore this. If you haven't seen Amityville horror, I would recommend it. Go out and watch it. It's very important to cinema. Yeah, as a horror fan, you're definitely going to need to check it out and just skip this remake at all costs. There's way better Ryan Reynolds films to check out and a lot better Haunting films. Go check out Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yeah. Really, there's way better stuff to check out. So ignore this film, and like I said, that's it. And if you think we should be condemned to a haunted house, uh, you can let us know that by uh, emailing us at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com or uh, hitting us up at grittyreboot at Instagram. And TikTok, uh, we're we're on both places, and um, we respond to pretty much any message we get. Yep, because we're horribly unpopular. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, we're getting more fans every day. Uh, we appreciate you guys, and I hope you guys still love the show. Uh, we're doing good, and um, we hope you guys enjoy these flicks. All right, guys. See you later. See ya. <laughs>